From the slopey bit down the front of the cinema, this is The Cinema Crew with Village Cinemas. J.J. <laughs> Abrams has somehow managed to find even more horror in World War II with his new production, Overlord. Strange to think this is what it looked like. That's what happens when the Earth's crust gets shattered into a thousand pieces. The world has basically ended and cities are now weapons. That may sound like breaking news, but in fact, it's mortal engines. I just wish we lived in a world where street smarts equal book smarts. Scroll. Oh. The educated people in their fancy houses who name their kids after fruit. And Jennifer Lopez, or J-Lo to her friends, is back on the big screen in a tale of reinvention called Second Act. Hello, hello, hello. My name is Kyron Wheatley and I've seen heaps of movies, but none of those. Luckily, Vary McIntyre and Michael Campbell hello. both have. Now, as always, we've got a Village Cinema's Gold Class Double Pass to give away, but first... What's not in that wall? What do you do with those people? J.J. Abrams is a director that has made his name on a distinct version of suspense. You get horror and thriller, and then you have J.J. Abrams. You know, films like Super 8 and Cloverfield, but also television like Lost and Alias. And when you're watching Abrams, you know it. And more and more frequently, he's happy to lend his knowledge of the thrill to others, and working on everything from Mission Possible to Westworld on the TV and Star Trek and Star Wars. So does the trademark Abrams suspense shine through in Overlord? Yes, absolutely. In fact, this is, as I was watching it, I remember thinking, this is such a J.J. Abrams kind of uh, perfectly themed and perfectly structured screenplay kind of production. I think what he's good at is he's good at taking things that you think you kind of remember. And this essentially, for all intents and purposes, is Castle Wolfenstein, the video game. Yep. And you're like, yeah, I remember it kind of being like this. And he's really good at kind of Getting into that. Nailing in on that. So what's it about? So uh, it's D-Day, World War II, and a group of soldiers have landed in France. Well, they never specifically say France. It's kind of like a small European town that looks slightly French. Very French, right? A lot of croissants. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, and they have to get to a tower in a small French town, and they need to take out the communications tower so they can attack. But there's something going on in, in the town, specifically in the church, it's a little bit creepy. So this one's like a classic schlock gore horror thing, but with Nazi zombies. So I know you mentioned the video game Wolfenstein. I was mm-hmm. thinking that too. This idea that the Nazis are always the bad guy in these movies. And I was a bit like, oh, with the horror genre, it's like. It'd be a bold move not to make the Nazis the bad guys though, <laughs> yeah. to be fair. Yeah, <laughs> but there's so many movies about Nazis. You're like, oh, here we go. Here's another one. So I was a bit like, okay, like. What's this one going to be like? But I was pleasantly surprised. I'm exactly the same. Before I went in, I was like, in what new way are the Nazis bad? Yeah, Yeah. I know they've done like Dead (laughs) Snow, which is like kind of like a schlocky tongue-in-cheek. And they've done the, I think, Call of Duty do World War II zombies and stuff. And I was like, it's not the most original thing in the world. Yeah. But it's good. Yeah. (laughs) It's like the best example of that. When you see J.J. Abrams' name attached to something, I think you go, okay, maybe there's a new angle on this. Yeah. Which, yeah, I didn't expect to see on this sort of movie because it's it's sort of like this B-grade, like a a low budget. Yeah. Even the title card that comes up at the beginning of the movie is this big, bold kind of type font. It looks like a grindhouse Mm. and it even like swipes across the screen like they used to in the 70s and 80s. Yeah. So they're obviously leaning into that like B-grade movie 
vibe, but mm. with the structure of a really well-produced Hollywood movie. Is it is it horror like horror horror? What or, or is it a little bit more sort of super eight suspenseful? Like you don't know what's going to happen, sort of horror. You know what I mean? I don't think it's super scary. It's gory, certainly. In fact. The thing that made me most excited before we went to see it was I, I was thinking, you know, it doesn't sound that original. And then I heard that it had been rated R. And I was like, oh, they're really they've leaning. Up. Yeah, they're I've leaning into 11. it. And they're not kind <laughs> of like trying to cash in on whatever nostalgia. They're like, no, no, we're going to make one of these movies. So I think it goes more towards that kind of grindhouse exploitation, uh, uh, violence and gore more than it does like a a quiet place, kind of suspense and horror. So JJ's on the production, but who actually made this film? Yeah. So we've got director Julius Avery, who's actually Australian. He brought something different to it, I guess, because you hear the name JJ Abrams and you think, oh, it's their thing, Mm -hmm. their movie, but it's not. This is totally different. I think this director has brought something unique to it. It's not just an Abrams production, I guess. In fact, JJ Abrams has talked about this movie and we've got a little clip of that right here. I think the thing that I love the most about the premise was that it took a sort of classic World War II adventure movie and it it smashed it into a sort of monster horror film. And the idea of those two coexisting just felt like it could be an incredibly intense and fun ride. And the thing about a war story is you don't need more monsters than than humans in that world. The horrors of war are already there. And so what's weird is that, you know, you suddenly get into this sort of, you know, freakish sort of fantasy horror level and it doesn't feel like that much of a stretch. What got me was the opening scene. Mm. I was so enthralled by this scene. I was just watching it like, this is not what I expected at all. And also worth mentioning all of that in a single shot. Oh, All was of this it? is done in one continuous camera shot. I mean, it's wow. not, but they made it look as if it's one <laughs> yeah, continuous Yeah, I mean, none of it happened. They're not Tom Cruise <laughs> actually jumping out of a plane for yeah. a shot. Well, but it's just so impressive that they can pull off all of that information in a mm. single shot. In what way is it different to what you were expecting? Like, what were you expecting? Because I was going in with this B-grade, low-budget movie in my mind, I didn't expect the cinematography and the editing to be so fresh and so clean cut and what exceeded my expectations in this from this scene and others in it was that they really went for a realistic aspect to it so in that plane scene they actually rigged up a plane they actually set it on fire and they got stuntmen to roll through fire they had it on a jerry thing so the plane was twisting the zombie effects were actual prosthetics and puppetry and things like that. They didn't rely on CGI. So it made it much more realistic as a viewer and for the actors as well, I guess, for their reactions to be more realistic. Who are the actors? Are there any big names? Okay, so I need to preface this next bit with saying I knew this actor's name beforehand. I was watching this movie and he plays a character called Ford and I remember thinking this guy reminds me, if this was made in the 80s, of Kurt Russell. This is the kind of role... (laughs) that Kurt Russell would play. <laughs> and I knew that this kid's name was Wyatt Russell. Yeah. But it never clicked in my head <laughs> until later on I said, there's this kid and he's kind of like a young Kurt Russell. And they were like, do you mean Wyatt Russell? <laughs> and only hearing those names back to back for the first time was like, oh, of course. Uh, he's exactly like Kurt Russell. <laughs> Even to the point where one of Kurt Russell's most famous roles was Wyatt Earp and he's called Wyatt Russell. <laughs> But he's good. He's my favourite. Wyatt <laughs> Russell as Ford is kind of like the, he's seen it all before, kind of um, yeah. the leader of the pack. Uh, he's great. And like I said, 
major Kurt Russell vibes. So there's an ensemble cast in this. There's quite a few actors, but they're all pretty unknown. They haven't done a lot of roles. Mm -hmm. There is the one woman character who's really badass, Matilda Olivia, a French woman. She reminded me a lot of... Well, maybe not France, just sort of general European European. woman. (laughs) No, she is French. (laughs) She reminded me a lot of... There's this very similar character in Inglorious Bastards. Yeah. It's like the French resilience fighter Mm. in a small town. So I think they were leaning heavily into like tropes that you kind of know from war movies, but just doing them well. Having a woman. Uh, Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Just the one. Yeah. Good. It's also interesting to note that this originally was going to be part of the Cloverfield universe. Back oh, this when, is one of those films. Well, it, well, it's no. not. But oh. Back when, the idea of the Cloverfield films would be, they're just kind of interesting little mini horror films. Oh, right. This movie wouldn't fit with that at all. So no. they've just decided, you know what, it's not Cloverfield anymore. Wasn't that just speculation, though? I think it was it just fans? They say it's speculation, but they also said that their next Cloverfield movie was going to be a World War II Cloverfield movie, all of which are produced by J.J. Abrams. There's a very good chance it would have been this, mm. unless mm. they have another World War II Cloverfield yeah, movie maybe. coming out, which they might. But my suspicion is they're like, oh, this doesn't really work anymore now that what we've done. Let's just cut all the ties to it and release it as its own thing. And I'm kind of glad that they did Yeah. because now it doesn't have that stigma anymore. I don't like when movies just add something in just for the sake of it, just to be like, oh, yeah, now it's all connected. Like yeah. It doesn't need it. Not everything has to be Marvel. <laughs> so who should see this film? If you're a fan of these bad robot J.J. Abrams produced movies and that are so consistently solid and well-structured and well-made, then you're going to love this movie. He knows movie. story, doesn't he? He, he really does, knows yeah. story, yeah. This one's just more about gore and horror and thrill, I think. He does know gore. <laughs> yeah, he does know <laughs> gore and horror. <laughs> and thrill. Okay. He used to visit all the time. Now one day, everything changed. She'd found something. Something he wanted. He would have killed me too. But I got away. Some filmmakers find their tribe and then they stick together. You got the Coen brothers, Wes Anderson, they use the same team and frequently throw up some of cinema's greatest flicks. And Peter Jackson and his friends, who made Lord of the Rings, do the same. You got District 9, The Hobbit, King Kong, The Lovely Bones. Some of them real hits, some of them. Not so much. Where do we think Mortal Engines will land? Hopefully in the good spectrum. We will preface that we have not seen this one yet. Nobody's seen it. It's coming out soon and I am excited for it. I haven't read the books, but hopefully for fans, this is going to satiate their needs for this. So what it's about, it's a fantasy dystopian future where entire cities roam the earth on wheels. And now London... (laughs) Yeah, bear with me. So London devours smaller cities for resources and there's this young woman, Hester, whose mother was killed and she leads a rebellion against London to exact her revenge. Yeah, it's kind of like steampunk the movie. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) There's a lot of goggles and flying machines and cogs and gears. Look, Does Will Smith do the song? (laughs) (laughs) No, this is thousands of years in the future, in Earth's future. So it's, it's more like a fantasy steampunk. Yeah, steampunk is so more like that, I am legend. <laughs> so my question stands. Which, which, which Will Smith movie is it most like? I think steampunk is the kind of thing that either lands or it doesn't. And it looks like, at least in, in all the designs I've seen, 
I've gone, oh, that's cool, rather than, oh, uh, they've put goggles on it. <laughs> well, this film of teammakers know how to make a world. Yeah, they? oh, yeah. That's like famously their world builders. Like yeah. the Middle Earth, look at that. Yeah, so Peter Jackson, Fran Walsh, Philippa Boyens, they wrote and produce it. And then they've got this guy, Christian Rivers, to actually direct it. So he was the art department for all of their films yeah. that we mentioned before, Storyboard The Hobbit and guy, everything. Yeah. And then he did a few Splinter Cell AD stuff for The Hobbit, I think. Yeah, I think they would love you to think Peter Jackson directed it. Look at any poster. It's yeah. from Peter Jackson, from yeah. the creators of Lord of the Rings. Well, same with J.J. Abrams. Oh, like yeah. big time. These are massive brands. And upcoming yeah. Alita is all James Cameron's Alita. He didn't direct it. Yeah. <laughs> but I love that thing of being like, we know he didn't direct it, but we just won't say who. <laughs> yeah. We'll just tell you who made the movie. It must quote, feel unquote. awful if you're the director. <laughs> your name's nowhere because Peter Jackson was somewhere nearby yeah. on shoot. Imagine having these friends, though, and they've allowed him to direct this. So this is his first feature. Well, he has learnt from them. It's sort of a protege. So this is his big break. What a risk giving a first-time filmmaker like $130 million. Yeah. (laughs) Because the tried and true seems to be make a small budget film. Okay, make a medium budget film. Okay, now you've got Thor Ragnarok or whatever. I mean, it's sort of his first film. But he's, they've all worked, like it's the same cinematographer yeah. from mm. Lord of the Rings it's the, in all those films. It's the same editor. Yeah. Hugo Weaving's in it. Yeah. Like, <laughs> they've all worked, they've very much worked together And even before. the screenplay yeah. is by Peter Jackson, Fran Walsh and yeah. Philippa Boyd. It's like it's yeah. the same writing team as all the Lord of the Rings Yes, yeah. But it's based on the book by Philip Reeve from 2001, which is a young adult novel quartet. It's called the Mortal Engines Quartet. So I think we've got to look forward to three more movies. <laughs> Depending how no, this Peter first Jackson one does. Peter Jackson that way more than three. <laughs> he, took, he took one movie and made it three. Yeah. He's going to take three movies and make it 16. <laughs> well, the question I think will be, if it gets to those movies, is whether or not it's jumped a shark. Because from the look of it, I think people might be raising their eyebrows as like, really? London's on wheels? What, what has happened to cinema? Yeah. yeah, I remember when the first trailer came out, I was a bit mind-boggled by that as well. Trying to be like, it's one of those things where you can't think about it. Can't think about how that would work because yeah. it kind of doesn't. So, like, don't bring logic into it too much. But because from the footage, sorry, from the footage in the trailer of this big machine that drives around the yeah. planet that London. is London, <laughs> yeah. you know, you got St. Peter's on top, the yeah. big church, the famous church from London <laughs> sitting on top. So, they've somehow put that on wheels <laughs> yeah. along with everything else, like a huge machine with arms spinning yeah. off it. And Wild Wild West comes to mind for a reason. <laughs> uh, like what about Studio a- Ghibli? Well, um, yeah, that's the other comparison castle. I've heard as well. Yeah, right. So, for anyone who loves fantasy or sci fi like myself, it's not such a stretch. You're like, yeah, that's cool. I want to watch that. It's not something so far-fetched that it's like it's a far-fetched idea, <laughs> yeah. sure, but I'm going to mm. go along with it. But, but you're right. There, there are it. examples of it working with the Studio Ghibli. It's House mm. Moving Castle. It's the tightrope between House Moving Castle and Wild Wild West, isn't it, that they, they need to teeter towards one side more than yeah. the other. I think you're comparing it to Wild Wild West too much. I don't think it's that at all. <laughs> well, steampunk is very much. I think that's what connects those two films. And Wild Wild West was bad. Yeah, I, I so think. So that, that is like the, look, that's like, you know, playing over in my head. Playing devil's advocate, I think what it is is that Wild Wild West just put a bad name on steampunk for quite a while. And mm. until something right. comes out, hopefully, which is this movie, yeah. that then writes the ship and, and it's like, no, steampunk can be cool. This weapon can wipe out the largest city in the blink of an eye. Not if we shut it down. You sure you want to do this? I have to. Stay out of 
sight until I give you the signal. What signal? Trust me, you'll know. I'm not that subtle. I guess the thing about this, as opposed to like Peter Jackson's Lord of the Rings or The Hobbit or Harry Potter or some of these other massive fantasy franchises, is I haven't heard of this book. This is not like this. This didn't take over the world in the same way as some of those other ones did. Yeah, you know, it's a little bit more of a hidden gem if it is a gem. It was written originally for adults, and it didn't sell so well. So the writer had to edit some things down and re-released it as a young adult novel franchise, and that went better. I actually think that that's a better sign because there's the two ways to adapt a book. One is I can see this will make a profit because people know it. And the other one being like, I connect with this book and I think there's a really strong movie and story to be told. And I'm glad that it's the latter and not like, oh, what's the biggest book franchise in the world? Yeah, I'll direct that. Yeah, there's so much expectation wrapped around that. So if you have something that everybody knows and loves, they're probably going to hate it more because you probably didn't include their favorite character or something. It, it, and it kind of be like when Ron Howard directed The Da Vinci Code because that was just the logical thing. It's the biggest book in the world. He's one of the biggest mm. filmmakers in the world. I'm sure he didn't have any particularly deep passion for it. In fact, I've seen it and I can guarantee he didn't have any yeah. deep passion for it. <laughs> but this, obviously, Peter Jackson and his team have been like, this is something we think, one, we can do, and two, that piques our interest. And I would way prefer that than them picking, you know, whatever's numbered one to ten in Dimmicks. Cute reference to Dimmicks. It's a, it's a <laughs> bookstore. It's yeah, like yeah. It's 2002. No, for, the, yeah, for the kids listening, <laughs> uh, Dimmicks was a bookstore. <laughs> so who should see this film? Anyone who loves fantasy, sci-fi things. Um, you love those big fantasy worlds with history and lore and maybe a little bit of steampunk, like uh, <laughs> Treasure Planet, that Disney movie a while ago. Um, yeah, just a really good Never action fantasy. Uh, also, anyone that likes a good world-building movie, like Peter Jackson. Oh, world-eating. Oh, world-eating, yeah. <laughs> also in cinemas this week, Creed 2. The sequel to Creed 1. And the rest of the Rockies. <laughs> and Rocky 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, and Rocky Balboa. And The Grinch. A Christmas movie from Dr. Seuss. Your favourite. <laughs> yes. You can hear about all those by clicking on the previous episode in whatever podcast app that you're in right now. I wish we lived in a world where street smarts equal book smarts. It's uneasy getting a job for a woman your age. Watch me. J-Lo hasn't been on the big screen in quite a while. She's been making music and TV, I think, so no problem making the mortgage payments. But this will be her first in about four years. So interesting then, second act seems to be about reinvention. Having said that, it's written by the same people who wrote Made in Manhattan and The Bucket List. So is there that much renewal here or is it the same old, same old? So the story of this is about Maya who works in a, in a store called The Value Shop and she's like a shop assistant who wants a managerial role and she's always overlooked by people with the right college qualifications. And she says, I wish that people would judge on their street smarts, not their book smarts. And then hearing this, one of her friend's sons makes her a fake profile and she actually lands a high-paying, high-profile job in New York City working for the corporate office of her shop. That's how I got this. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Take it till you make it. (laughs) Karin, fun fact, has never seen any movie. (laughs) So I heard that Julia Roberts was originally attached to play the main character, Maya. And this just feels like such a J-Lo film that I can't imagine it as anyone else. Also, the writer of this, Elaine Goldsmith-Thomas, who also produced Made in Manhattan, Lopez and Elaine are producing partners. So they've worked together a lot. So it really feels like that sort of genre of film. You know what I suspect this is? And the same thing happens whenever Will Smith signs onto a movie is it gets completely rewritten for someone 
And then there's this, these, all these weird laws about screenwriting. So there's probably a million drafts of this. The one would have been a little more Julia Robertsy one, maybe mm. would have been Cameron Diazzi. And they've been like, JLo's on board. She's now a producer. Rewrite it and make it as JLo as possible. <laughs> True. All yeah, right. That, yeah, that, that's that's, that's like something a vehicle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I suspect happened. I also love that JLo still puts herself as like a champion of the average people. Yeah. She's yeah. she's she's still the downtrodden. I mean, she's fifty years old. No one at fifty looks as good as J Lo, but she's still like, <laughs> I'm an average person. I understand your everyday problems. Yeah, she goes from that like even the film Working Girl. She goes from a yeah. working girl to a high class job and made in Manhattan. Even yeah. though I mean, this is, this is yeah. the J Lo film, <laughs> and even the Wedding Planner. All of those films that she does, she's an image for that working class character for people to watch and you can actually get somewhere. You just got to be confident and believe in yourself because she actually has the skills to do this job. Maybe your resume doesn't look good. Maybe you just like spice it up a bit. Uh, And it's actually this story that she's got uh, with Vanessa Hudgens, who's also in it. So these two women are put sort of against each other, I guess, and they've each got to come up with a new line of beauty products. And they've kind of got this competition going. But what I liked is that they don't rely on this like quote girl against girl sort of bitch fight or, or something. It's it's more this healthy, friendly competition that they've got. And you don't actually see that a lot in movies, especially rom coms. Mm. Who's Vanessa Hudgens? She was the main star in all the musical. high school yeah, high school musicals. Oh. Also in the Christmas swap at the moment on Netflix. And <laughs> oh, yeah. this is one of those movies like Netflix are producing right now. They're kind of the trashy rom com mm. that people are real into for some reason. And I think this falls into that line of being like, you've kind of seen it before. It's a bit trashy. But the person I saw this with came out being like, I loved it. <laughs> I, I loved I loved the trashiness. I love the cliches. I love all that. So I think they lean kind of into that in the way that those Netflix rom-coms are doing as well. Yeah, there's a few side characters that have the comic relief aspect to them as well. They're just super ridiculous. They yeah. have, add nothing to the plot or anything. They're just there for some laughs. So who should see this film? We have an event every month called Flicks with the Chicks and you tend to get like all the all the mums on the night out. It's just a bit of fun. Yeah, and this film is exactly like tailored for that audience. Yeah, if you just want to like feel good, happy movie, get all your friends together, it'll be a good night out. Popcorn, trash. Yeah, yeah. popcorn and trash. <laughs> for your chance to win a Village Cinema's Gold Class Double Pass, go to Facebook or Instagram. You'll find a post from the cinema crew. Leave a comment on there. Answering the question, what film should Will Smith do the song for? (laughs) And uh, you could win a gold-class double pass to Village Cinemas. Next week, another Spider-Man. We've mentioned it before, but we'll tell you the industry secret as to why there's a new Spider-Man every two years and also review this one. Speaking of superheroes, Deadpool is back, being rude and funny and generally breaking the rules of superhero movies. And Peppermint sees Jennifer Garner return to her roots as an agent slash widow who returns from exile to seek her revenge. Anyway, that's next week. Until then, thanks, Cambo. Thank you. Thanks, Vari. Thank you. I'm Kyron Wheatley, and we'll see you, at the very least, you'll hear us next week on The Cinema Crew with Village Cinemas.